and welcome to the I actually have a boarding pass in my pocket edition of the boarding pass. Ken, you've done this a few times already, making the podcast work from airports around North America. This is my first time. I'm here in Edmonton getting set for Jets Oilers tomorrow night. Looks like McDavid's going to be back in. We'll see. We'll find out. When this day began, Ken, Winnipeg had the number one wildcard spot. Nashville has already won, bumping Winnipeg to the number two wildcard spot. As we're recording this, Vancouver is, is going to play later tonight. Winnipeg could fall all the way out of the playoffs. This is what um, we're looking at for all remaining games of the stretch. That's how tight the Western Conference is. But I want to start with your latest piece, and I want to keep it punchy just like the man it was about. Adam Lowry is back in Winnipeg and making an impact. What did you see from him? Yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I I hope that people got the humor in my lead. Uh, I mean, <laughs> anyone who I saw did. the anthems, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was one of those kind of had-to-be-there moments because I don't think you would have seen it on the TV broadcast. So uh, anthems were just winding down yesterday, and there's a bit of a roar over the, that buzz that comes over the crowd and uh, you know curiously enough Adam Lowry looks up to the scoreboard to see what the fuss is all about and he sees his own face and can't help but snicker uh, I thought it was pretty uh, a funny moment and a little bit of a you know uh, a premonition of what was maybe to come uh, Lowry was obviously as eager as Matthew Perot was uh, the game previous to get back into the lineup and uh, the funny part about his uh, bone-crushing hit on Vinny Henestroza is that Lowry didn't even have to chase it down. He was at a standstill, but he still absolutely rocked Henestroza. And uh, although it looked like Lawson Kraus was coming to the defense of his teammate, uh, Lowry basically on his way out of the uh, quarantined media interview uh, said that he basically begged him to go. So uh, we certainly got the crowd into it early in the game. And, I mean, Lowry's physical presence was was evident throughout. I mean, they had him for four official hits, but... Uh, he was really forechecking well. Him and Andrew Kopp showing that uh, chemistry that we're used to seeing. And I really liked what it did for the trickle-down effect, which, I mean, Paul Maurice called it the, the Adam Lowry effect in the post game as well, about how it, it allows the other lines to, to go out and chase the other matchups. And it allows Shifley's line to focus on offense. And although it was only an empty net goal for Mark Shifley, which gave him 29 on the year, I mean... Rod, I thought that that second period, Wheeler, Wheeler, Shifley, and Connor had a couple of those classic 45 second to a minute shifts where they absolutely owned the puck down low. They had defensemen spinning. They had forwards guessing. There were some low to high chances, and it really seemed to give them a, a lift going into the. It really got them going in the second, and then it kind of I felt like it propelled them into the third, where they kind of took over the game. Well, to use a Paul Mauriceism, I think everybody on the team had a piece of that one because I can remember one of those shifts you're talking about for Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor that started with the fourth line having had a strong shift and Mason Appleton making a heck of a back pressure back check, picking, lifting a stick, picking up a puck in the neutral zone, sending it the other way. So Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor were able to go to town against a tired Coyotes team. Um, these are the advantages of a fully healthy Winnipeg Jets team or darn close to it at this stage of the season uh, where we're finally at the point where everyone on the roster from top to bottom has a long track record of being a consistent or a track record not always long some young fellas but a consistent NHL non-replacement level player Winnipeg has options and choice and the ability to come up with different line combinations. When Lowry came back, the idea was would he play with Cop? Would he go somewhere else? And would Cop play up higher in the lineup? Paul Maurice chose to 
reunite the two. Um, and all of a sudden, all four lines have a piece of the win. Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMello have a piece of the win. Neil Pionk and Dmitry Kulikov as well. The goaltending, as always. Um, this is the closest thing to a complete team that we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets all season. And uh, I think it's fair to say that it happened just in time, eh, Ken? Yeah, no doubt about that. And, I mean, the other part, too, I mean, we can't ignore the, you know... I, <laughs> The guy who was in the crosshairs of many folks on social media, Cody Eakin, probably playing his best game since joining the Jets, uh, you know, setting up the tying goal with a really good drive to the net on a shift where he had two really good scoring chances. One of them led to the rebound that Tucker Pullman deposited for the tying goal. And and then after a faceoff win, uh, taking advantage of the Nikolai Ehlers soccer kick right to him and showing great patience and going to the backhand to beat a sprawling Darcy Kemper. I mean... Uh, plenty of debate as to where guys should fit in, but I mean that line. Even though they didn't have a ton of ice time, uh, they certainly made the most of it. With obviously Nick Eil- Nikolai Ehlers, uh, you know, paving the way, uh, and again Pullman uh, back in the trickle down effect. Murad, I mean, we've talked about it before. The addition of Demello has allowed Tucker Pullman, with his limited NHL experience, we know he's not a 20-year-old rookie, but he is limited in terms of NHL experience to go on to the third pairing, go up against a little bit different level of competition, and not only succeed, but he's been flourishing. He had that impressive shorthanded goal the other day. He had an incredibly smart, uh, quick stretch pass to Nikolai Ehlers that led to the net drive that got the Jets back into the game. And then the activation that allowed him to go to the net and be on the doorstep when Eakin's shot landed in the crease and he was there to bang it in. I mean, that third pairing too. And also Nathan Beaulieu, now that he's got a little bit more uh, skating legs underneath him, uh, you know, we know he's had a lot of trouble in terms of broken bones and injuries. He's settled in now onto that third pairing. And uh, all three of the Jets pairings, I thought, were very steady last night. And I mean, the one thing we both talked about on Twitter, I mean, one of the rare mistakes that Neil Pionk made was going down on one knee on the on the Coyotes' first goal, where uh, I think that he expected Nick Schmaltz to shoot, but I'm also with you. I think that on one of the looks on the replay, I think that he also thought that Rosovic might get down into that shooting lane and prevent that sort of drive to the net, which is why he thought maybe he was safe to go down and block the shot himself. So uh, Jets' defense has played uh, you know, an improved at an improved level, uh, the depth is there, and I mean, I, I think the Palm Reese needs to find more than 11 minutes and 38 seconds for Nikolai Ehlers uh, specifically, but I mean, even in a, I mean, he was excellent in that limited time yesterday, and I, I think it's important for the Jets that they have a fourth line that they can count on, but now it's about distributing those minutes a little bit more evenly in order to keep, keep some of those other guys like Ehlers and Line A fresh and engaged, because for me, even though Line A did get an assist on the winner, uh, it wasn't he wasn't as noticeable as he had been lately. I mean, I don't I don't think it was a lack of effort, but it was just one of those games where the puck wasn't finding him maybe as much as it has been of late and he hasn't been as when he wasn't as involved on the forecheck as he has been in the last few nights, but I mean, that's where you need that secondary scoring and that, those other waves of of offense to come throughout the rest of the lineup. Yeah, when you have that level of, I guess, depth now. And, you know, it, I don't want to get too carried away and call it superlative depth because really what it is is Winnipeg um, just returning to full strength. No, bang on, right on. I mean, that's the uh, that's the big thing there. And, I mean, uh, the other part of the, uh, you know, Twitterverse debate yesterday was about Jansen Harkins, and, and rightfully so. But Jansen Harkins, 
is not going to be out of the lineup for the last 13 games. I mean, this is a guy that has taken full advantage of the injury bug that the Jets have had up front and shown that he can be a consistent NHL player. And I honestly think that Harkins has shown enough that by the time that the Jets get to training camp next fall, he might have carved out enough of an impression that he might be under consideration with Andrew Kopp and Jack Roslevic for that second-line center spot. And then who knows what happens with Brian Little. But I think that's how highly the Jets think of Jansen Harkins, even though that he came out of the lineup yesterday in order to keep Nick Shore in because of his penalty-killing duties specifically. Yeah, at the very least... Uh, we got uh, this is what we do for having an airport, but at the very least, um, he'll be more important than those UFAs. Right. Right. No doubt about that. And, and again, I, I understand why folks were uh, had a little were a little bit up in arms, but at the same time, I mean, you can't discount the importance of having a center that you know where he's going to be. I mean, Jansen Harkins has been excellent at center in the American League, but. Unfortunately for him, he's only played about a period in the NHL level. So unless you're going to bump Rosovic down to the fourth line and play him at center, I mean, Nick Shore needed to be in the lineup yesterday. And he was also in the lineup as a safety valve for Adam Lowry in case on that first shift, Adam Lowry, uh, you know, has an issue with his shoulder, especially after getting into a fight. I mean, he's been out for over two months with an upper body injury. If Adam Lowry suddenly is injured in the first period yesterday, instead of finishing the game as strongly as he did, Nick Shore was there to be a safety valve on that front. And also, you know, Lowry didn't see his normal penalty-killing minutes yet because he was getting eased back into the lineup. So, I mean, those are other factors in the decision of why it was Harkins that came out. I mean, that's not to say that Harkins is going to be shelved for the year. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think having some internal competition at the bottom of the roster or on the periphery of the roster is important for the Jets, and and we're going to see that as it goes along. I mean, the Jets know full well. It's hard to stay at full health. Uh, they haven't had much of it, and we'll see how much of it they have uh, during the stretch run. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that commenting on Nick Shore to, to bring him back into it as a penalty killer and a safety valve for Adam Lowry is exactly what would have been in line with the Jets thinking. Um, in the last couple of months, Winnipeg's PK has actually been towards the top of the NHL. And some of the big minute eaters, of course, are your Andrew Copps and Nick Shores, um, uh, along with Mason Appleton. Kyle Connor plays a role. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, Nick Shore has been leaned on heavily there is is for his face-off ability, and I think that's a safety valve that, as Adam Lowry kind of comes back into the swing of things, you can hold off before subbing him out. I definitely agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm growing into a big Jansen Harkins fan as well. I, you know, if not necessarily, I mean, I, I think second-line center is is an optimistic thing, even though he has already done everything at the AHL level or what have you. But with Gabriel Bork, the newly AHL conditioning stint assigned Mark Letestu, um, and Nick Shore himself also, an unrestricted free agent this summer, no guarantee everybody comes back. I think we're at the point where we can talk about him as a surefire NHL player um, and somebody who, just like you said, he's not coming out of the lineup for an extended period of time. I also wanted to comment a little bit on Cody Eakin. Uh, I was asked on Twitter the other day, so now that you've 
had a couple of games to watch Cody Eakin. What you know? What are what are your comments? And I think first and foremost, um, you know, I don't know what the appropriate gesture of thanks is, but if Cody Eakin could throw Brian Little a, a beer or a steak dinner or something to to that effect at this stage, um, I think that one of the things that is really helping Cody Eakin have success is the strength of 2020 Nick Ehlers and 2020 Patrick Liney. For so long, two years ago. Um, uh, and even in long stretches over the last couple of years, Brian Little has been made to center the developing versions of these players. I think you'd agree that both cases, Ehlers and Line, have taken very large steps forward this season, and they're contributing towards driving play in a way that they didn't when Brian Little was trying to make the best out of that trio as they came into the league. Now, um, you have a Nick Ehlers, who's, in your words, the one-man zone entry machine, I love that phrase, um, contributing in a big way um, that piece that you wrote about him watching all of his shifts was was just terrific and there's just been an elevation to his game same thing with Patrick Laine so now Cody Eakin can come in and he, there's no pressure on him to be Paul Stastny or even what Kevin Hayes was advertised to be he just comes in and is Cody Eakin does his best to be a responsible player uh, run the smart routes jump in where possible um, but to my mind, what he's really doing right now is just being smart and benefiting from uh, some really exceptional plays by his wingers, including, gotta love it, that kick pass by Nick Ehlers. First time I saw it, I was like, no way, that's for real. And then you watch it happen again, and it's like, wait a second. No, his eyes are on the puck, and he's following through. That's a perfectly played pass. Um, so I think that you're right to say that that's a player in, in Ehlers to pivot towards him. You know, 10, 12 minutes, that's not the right number for him. And uh, you got to wonder uh, long-term whether he can work his way up onto that top power play unit even, even though that's not in, in the conversation or the cards right now. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, I mean, the other part about Eakin is, uh, in comparison to Harkins, is that Paul Maurice knows where uh, this isn't just the, I mean, yes, he is a veteran and he is favoring a veteran in both Eakin and Shore over a young rookie in Jansen Harkins, but Paul Maurice knows what routes Cody Eakin is going to run. He knows that he can count on him to be a responsible defensive center on a line with the, what are still two incredibly skilled wingers who have improved immensely away from the puck, but that's the other thing. I mean, this is part of the learning curve for Jansen Harkins, and he's handling that learning curve incredibly well. And just to go back to him briefly, I mean, I'm not considering him the front runner for second line center, but going into last training camp, Jansen Harkins wasn't really even a consideration to be on the opening day roster. To me, that that goes to show people how how highly the Jets think of him. That he would now find himself in the conversation. Uh, to be considered uh, to maybe be a, you know, mi- I think I'm with you. I think it's a middle six forward job, but I, I think if we're thinking about a responsible player who has worked on his skating, I mean, this is the kind of guy that has some finish also. I mean, he would be in the conversation and might be given an opportunity. And I mean, the other part for me, I mean, on the weekend, I had an opportunity to go watch the manager of the Moose twice. And I mean, David Gustafson is no longer a six minute player. Uh, per game. I mean, he was playing on the top line. He's on the first power play in the slot area. Uh, he is on the first penalty kill. Uh, he played some incredibly important minutes. Uh, he, he and Christian Veselainen showed me some very strong chemistry at various times uh, during that two-game set against the Iowa Wild. And I mean, whether, I mean, I don't think that Christian Veselainen is best served as a fourth-line winger, but I think that I could easily see those two breaking in together on that fourth line for the Jets next season. 
That would be a great turn. I think we all saw the potential early in David Gustafson's game early this season. But as you say, six minutes, it's tough to make hay with that. And certainly he was part of a fourth line uh, that got hemmed in his own end for his own end for shifts on end. Um, the idea that he is now achieving that sort of top line role is is phenomenal. But Christian Veselainen in particular, he's at the stage of his AHL career where you'd kind of expect some meaningful point totals from him if he if he's going to continue to project as a top flight offensive player. If he's gotten traction um, under him at this point, finishes strong, that, that'll be a much more optimistic close to the season, I think. Because he's at that age now where um, at the AHL level, a lot of these guys do put up pretty superlative point totals if they go on to a top six type role, which is, you know, what the hope is anytime that you draft somebody in the first round, even though obviously uh, such a small percentage of people end up in that regard as well. Um, I want to ask you, Jansen Harkins, Mason Appleton is a comp. Um, guys, uh, Appleton was taken deeper in, in the draft. Our Harkins, I, I believe, was a late second rounder, um, but came from essentially a place in the draft where guys don't necessarily, they don't get those big minute early looks and they have to come from a, from a way back and uh, a ways back and sort of outperform their odds or their draft slot a little bit. And I think that I see maybe even a little more in Harkins, but the same kind of motor in their game. When both men are playing at their best, there's a willingness to sort of go uh, try to turn corners on people, drive the net, play tough along the wall. Um, we were talking about earlier, you brought up that Shifley, Connor, Wheeler line and how they dominate is with those cutbacks and those low to high passes. And Shifley finds a, a great seam and a timing play to Kyle Connor and all of a sudden he's loose in the slot. But they're not bullying teams. They're just protecting the puck. Um, at their best, I, I could see a Harkins or an Appleton type, not necessarily steamroll people, but play with a little bit more of an edge, uh, which I, th I think is a fun look for me anyways to evaluate these guys. Yeah, absolutely, and and I would even uh, I would even say that Appleton I think has more of a physical uh, edge to his game than Harkins, and that's not a knock on Harkins. He's just not necessarily a, a finisher, but I th I agree with you. He can be strong along the wall for sure, and win puck battles and and create offensively in the offensive zone. And I mean, we've seen them play together at various times, and I think they could be a good duo going forward as well. But I really think that Mason Appleton is playing uh, you know just great hockey, and he, he is a prototypical late bloomer who's drafted. You know, in that sixth round uh, out of the USHL, where he was a more of a kind of a a shift disturber, a feisty guy who had some <laughs> offense, and then he went to Michigan State and put up some good numbers, and went to the Moose and put up some good numbers there as well. But uh, I mean, for me, he's a he's he's a prototypical checking plus kind of guy. I mean, I thought I, I liked uh, Appleton when he went up with Blake Wheeler on the on the wing on that second line. Uh, but I think he's probably going to be more suited to uh, filling that, like I said, for lack of a better term, the Brandon Tanev role. But uh, I see Appleton as having, you know, really legit offensive upside, that 10 to 15 goal range. And I really think that what we're seeing from him, uh, you know, incredible bursts of speed. We've seen him with a couple of impressive net drives, using his speed to get to the net. And I think that there's some he has some hands. Uh, that can help his finishing ability as well. And his work on the uh, penalty kill has been uh, very, uh, very astute. Uh, it's been impressive, and he, he does have a really high motor, and I think he's the kind of guy that uh, is going to continue to carve out a bigger role for himself uh, moving forward here. And he's the kind of player that, 
he would be one of those under the radar guys in the playoffs where I could see him, you know, he's the kind of guy that could produce a, an overtime kind of winner, like just out of sheer will and, and determination uh, with that combination of his skill as well, just with his skating ability. Yeah, I like what you when you say checking line plus because, you know, you always kind of look at the playoffs and Winnipeg's looking at the playoffs right now. They're trying to put together, take control over their schedule that they have left. Uh, Edmund, Edmonton comes up, Calgary comes up, Vancouver. These are key, key games. But if you project the Jets roster into the playoffs, you start thinking, okay, is this a good playoff caliber top line center? Well, in Mark Scheifele, yeah, you have that. Um, offensively, he's all world. Defensively, he can play a good game, but there have been lapses. I believe a playoff Mark Scheifele would be a force. Um, and then you go on down the list. Uh, that third line of Cop, Lowry, and Tanev, when it was firing on all cylinders, was a good version of that shutdown line. There are teams that try and strive to put together lines that can hem teams in their own zone like those guys did. That's a good playoff caliber version. I think that when you talk about Harkins or Appleton in in those sorts of roles, there's enough to their game, there's enough dimension where they can be there and do good things from that position as well. Um, And I think... Actually, on that note as well, Adam Lowry is going to be a guy to watch down the stretch as well. Um, we know Cop and Lowry have been able to be two-thirds of that shutdown line. We know Paul Maurice likes to lean on them. But there's going to be, in my mind, there should be some growing pains as he gets back up to pace. And early on in the season when the team was you know, in a much different form uh, than it is now, those two didn't necessarily dominate this year in the way that we have seen them do in years past. That's going to be one of those things for me where if you start seeing them spend shift over shift over shift in the offensive zone like the old days, it's going to bode awfully well for the Winnipeg's playoff chances. And if they can't get that done, then there might be too much heavy lifting. I think that there's just such a vital role to be played by those guys. Um, do, you, do you dare hazard a guess at, at which version we'll get? Yeah, I would imagine that, uh, I mean, I think that Adam Lowry is pretty determined in Hungary, and we know that Andrew Kopp is, uh, you know, really taking another step in his game. I think this year, and I would say there's probably some frustration from Lowry early on in the year when his lim- limit uh, minutes were limited. Uh, the offense, I mean, he's very self-deprecating in terms of humor. You know, in his, his post-game quote about how you know I wanted to give the fans something to cheer about, and it wasn't likely going to be a goal, so it was going to have to be hitting a, hit or a fight. <laughs> I mean, uh, here's a guy who you know he's gone 19 games without a goal, I believe. Uh, but this is a guy who scored double digits in the National Hockey League, and same sort of thing. If the Jets are to A, get into the playoffs, or B, have any type of success, Adam Lowry is going to have to be, I mean, he provides a lot of other things in terms of contributions, but he's the kind of guy that would have to get involved offensively, him and he and Cop together. And I think the other part of that line, I think there's a huge opportunity here for Jack Roslevic in terms of being probably the most pure finisher uh, those guys have had, with the exception of Patrick Laine, obviously when Laine was playing, uh, you know, with Tanev and and Lowry briefly last year in Finland, uh, in order to get him going. But Rosovic has the type of shooting ability and finishing ability that that could really make that third line in in uh, you know quote quotes uh, a really dangerous grouping uh, because they're going to get some some good matchups. I mean, a lot of the times when they're playing on that checking line. A lot of those offensive lines that they're up against don't enjoy playing defense. And the, and the the interesting part about Kopp and Lowry is that they spend so much time in the offensive zone. Now they got a guy like Rosovic who is a really good pure shooter. 
Uh, I, I think that he has a huge opportunity here down the stretch and into the playoffs to to really help bolster his um, you know value in terms of what that next RFA contract is going to look like. I know we we talked about that last week, but I think there's a huge opportunity for Rosovic to to be a really impact uh, you know secondary scorer with that line. I, I think there have been times this year where Rosovic's been brilliant, but I think there were also times where he wasn't sure, admittedly, if he's a shooter on that line or a passer when he was up in the top six. And when he's with Lowry and Kopp, it's clear that he is the shooter on that line. So I think because of the way those guys work the puck down low, there are going to be offensive opportunities for him to be had. So that'll be super interesting to me. And I just want to go back on the back end quickly, Murat. Uh, uh, you dove into a little bit of video work. I know we've talked a lot about Dylan DeMello and Josh Morrissey and how you know they've sort of stabilized the back end in terms of being a really solid pairing. Uh, what what did your video session uh, show you about why they've been so successful in sort of bringing order to the defensive zone? Yeah, Dylan DeMello has been a, a you know a real boon for Josh Morrissey in, in terms of the minutes that they play. It's interesting to me. Um, we can get into a little bit of how Paul Maurice has been managing the matchups in a second, but what Dylan DeMello can do really well, and it's kind of like. You ever meet somebody who uh, can be talking to you, but they're as they're talking to you, they're listening to your response. They're paying attention to what your facial expressions are. And they're kind of like they're adjusting how they speak to you as they're speaking to you. It's a very political tact. I don't know why it came into my mind, but it's the most... Um, it's the it's the best analogy I have for the way that Dylan DeMello plays hockey. He is capable of observing everything around him as he's making a play, keeping his head up, making the read, and changing what his play is depending on uh, what the circumstances allow. So you find moments where he's coming up through the neutral zone, he's just picked off a pass, and he's got his body angled towards an outlet on his left, and he's square to the guy on the left, and then he watches the play develop, and that guy, um, and we've got clear of this at theathletic.com that man turns out to be covered so because Dylan DeMello despite being square and ready to execute that pass is watching to see what happens in front of him he holds the puck for an extra half beat those defensemen get fooled and he goes to his right side and Winnipeg has a zone entry with possession and a chance that comes out of it um, same thing when he goes back to recover pucks in his own zone he can have pressure on his back and still keep his head up and, and find a Winnipeg outlet to keep the puck safe and oftentimes of course that outlet is Josh Morris or that reverses Josh Morrissey. So no longer do you have Morrissey sort of double clutching and checking to see what's going on um, on over his shoulder and worrying about another man at his own. Um, he, he can breathe a little bit because he knows DeMello is going to absorb contact, do whatever he needs to do, read the lay of the land, and then find the safest outlet and just get the puck to a better spot than he had it in. Um, I'm still looking for that stretch of games where Morrissey really takes it to the next level, um, plays a massive shutdown sort of component and at 5-on-5, five five, um, and, and really shows us that first pairing dominant guy that we look for. Um, if anyone can get him there to my mind, that's Dylan DeMello at this stretch. Um, fair to say that this is the best partner that he's had all season, wouldn't it? I think that's an easy one to say, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely uh, some built-in chemistry there uh, just because of the way they're both pretty deep thinkers in terms of how they view the game. Uh, I think they're they're easy to read off one another. Other, I, I think it's very similar to when, when Josh Morrissey and Jacob Truba originally got together as a pairing. I mean, dating back to that first development camp, you could tell that they were kind of tracking or trending towards being that pairing, and I really think that 
Uh, this is an easy, uh, easy marriage for lack of a better term. And I think that they can handle heavy minutes and they're going to have to, you know, play a big role down the stretch as well. I mean, what's been interesting is that, I mean, Neil Pionk and Dmitry Kulikov has, have actually taken more of the shutdown-ish role, if you will. But what Paul Maurice has done is he's put DeMello and Morrissey behind that Mark Scheifele line a lot of the time, at least from from the. I mean, I haven't double checked the uh, you know the uh, the underlying numbers to confirm, but for me, I think that was what Paul Maurice was talking about when you asked him about it, Marat, yesterday. I, I really think that Demello and Morrissey as a backing for that Shifley line, I think that that's really made a dangerous combination, and it's part of the reason why Pionk and Kulikov have been used in more of a shutdown role and, and taken on a, a few more of those minutes, uh, at least in the recent games here. Yeah, he likes to line match in terms of five-man units where possible. So he's thinking exactly like you say about the puck service that Mark Scheifele's line is going to get. And Dylan DeMello and Josh Morris, you're both strong puck movers. Really interesting thing for me in in that response too was um, there were long stretches of the game where Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello actually played more at five-on-five strictly in terms of minutes um, than Neil Pionk and Dmitry Kulikov did. But at the exact same time, Winnipeg was using Dmitry Kulikov and Neil Pionk as the shutdown pair. So how does that happen? Well, it's because the other teams protecting their top line, playing a little bit of a game of cat and mouse and trying to dodge certain rotations to get them out against nobody, not nobody, pardon me, lesser opposition. And then Winnipeg has to sort of follow suit and do the exact same thing and protect its pairing if it's going to go for that hard matchup as well. So Paul Maurice made an interesting point that sometimes your heaviest matchup guys aren't the ones who are going to end the game with the most minutes played. Um, and then, of course, because Neil Pionk is a, on the power play as often as he is, once again, he finishes with the game's most minutes played uh, amongst Winnipeg Jets. And it's nice to see Winnipeg's underlying metrics haven't turned a corner to the point where they're dominant by any stretch. They're still a bottom 10 team in terms of expected goals, but they are getting closer to outshooting teams. They have had a strong stretch of play. I think it's so safe to say at this point that if there's a corner being turned, it's because this top four can be used in such a deliberate and dynamic way. Um, and I guess we, we're we almost at time, but I, I have to throw in some, some thoughts about Kulikov as well. I've liked him as a shutdown stopper in a way beyond what, uh, what I might have expected based on his third pairing usage in the past. Um, and I feel like I've seen less chaos to him, less... Um, wishful icings less taking himself out of the play at the blue line to make the big hit and as a duo I've liked that pairing a fair bit as well at this stretch um, I'm with you as well I, I think there's been a we talk about simplicity when it comes to Nikolai Lewis's game I think there's really been a simplicity in Dmitry Kulikov's game I think his uh, his exits have been steadier I think his defensive zone play has been you know improved as well I think he's simplified that part of his game and uh, he's not, you know, he's still being physical when he needs to be, but he's not chasing the big hit, which is sort of taken him out of position at certain times lately. So, and again, I think he's playing a lot of shorthanded minutes there as well, and I think that's really kind of helped him get into a little bit more of a rhythm on the back end as well, for sure. Okay, so uh, we've talked about the the stretch run. We've talked about some key players, and uh, one of the things that is definitely going to happen this summer is that there's going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of roster turnover. Dmitry Kulikov's an unrestricted free agent. He might 
perhaps there's a reduced co contract for him in Winnipeg. Perhaps he tests the open market. I'm not particularly sure yet. But the guys who absolutely will be sure would be Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside, our insiders at The Athletic, who break news all of the time. Uh, I want to promote their uh, their podcast this week because they have another insider, the Bob Father himself, Bob McKenzie, will be uh, on the two-man advantage with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. That's going to be definitely well worth a listen. Uh, meanwhile, in Winnipeg, we have a playoff run that continues in Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. Exactly the teams that Winnipeg is chasing. Stay tuned. We'll have it for you at the boarding pass. For Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh. Thanks for listening.